0: warrior woman. Welcome back to the Warrior School Podcast. This is episode 141. I have a guest for you today, which is very, very cool. My guest is Frances Brown. Frances is a physiotherapist in Brisbane, Australia. We connected through Creator Club, our business coaching membership and i'm gonna have to say i was instantly drawn to her and maybe it was because she can lift really heavy shit well she is a power lifter or it could have been her philosophy that i was drawn to Frances integrates A strong belief in the resilience of the human body, which, you know, I love. We talk about this concept of believing that your body can heal itself, believing that you will be able to move through the pain or the injury. And not a lot of physios actually talk about that the belief that we are capable and the body is capable of healing. And she does this, you know, this integration uh, of the belief and the resilience of the human body with strength training, uh, which I love. She takes this movement-based approach to uh, pain and injury, uh, which Turns me on so much. Uh, And she also does bone density classes for women, which is epic. Uh, And we talk about that today in the podcast. We talk about women and bone health and why women need to strength train and the importance of jumping and how it improves bone density and uh, cartilage thickness. Uh, We actually talk about so much. It was an epic podcast episode she was a long one i think we went for nearly an hour and a half Uh, but we talk about her story and her philosophy Uh, we talk about belief and you know why believing you will get better will help with your recovery how we can change our relationship with pain the importance of taking a movement-based approach and why it's more powerful than just manual therapy then we dig into women and bone health and strength training and plyometrics. Uh, there's so much in this episode. It was an amazing conversation. Francis is super cool. Uh, okay, so let's just let's just go. Let's listen to Francis Brown talk about the resilience of the human body welcome to the warrior school podcast the podcast for women who train i believe following a plan that works with your body and has a timeline of years is the future of women's training i also believe women can train hard we just need to learn how to do it in a respectful way So, Warrior, this is your go-to show for practical information on training, nutrition, hormones, and performance. Myself and tons of experts will help you create a training strategy that works with your body and gets results. I am your teacher, Amy Bowe, coach, dietitian, and the creator of Warrior School. Okay, Warrior Woman, let's do this. There we go. Francis, welcome to the Warrior School
1: podcast.
0: Thank you so much for having me. <gasps> I'm excited. I'm excited to talk to you today.
1: Yeah, me too. After listening to a couple of your episodes, I'm super keen. Yeah, I want to,
0: well, I, I want to talk about a lot of things, but I want to start with your story. I'd, I love starting with what you do now. And mm-hmm. then I like to go back to the dots in your story that led you to where you were. And just before we hit record, I told Francis that I was reading Steve Jobs's mm-hmm. biography. And that dot thing comes from him. He actually gave a addressment uh, what do you call it, the speeches that they give to colleges in America. And I remember he gave this speech and he talked about the dots and how you can always look back and connect the dots, but you can never look forward.
1: Oh, that's one of the great things that you can share about that <laughs> when, when you hopefully continue to give more updates from it. Um, so, okay, my current point is that I am a physiotherapist in Brisbane, Australia. Um, I have been, I started my own business about two years ago, FKB Physio. And I guess outside of work, I I compete. Well, I compete in powerlifting. I'm going to say that, but I'll I'll just say I, I do powerlifting. I don't, the competing makes it sound much more serious than it is. And I teach Les Mills group fitness classes as well.
0: I didn't know that last bit. Hmm.
1: I just teach body attack. I used to teach Oh, that. No, I teach body attack, grit and core. They're just like group fitness classes that are in time to music. And the one I teach the most often is body attack. And when I say most often, I teach it once a fortnight. And then occasionally, sometimes if I do more cover classes, it's once a week. But that's about as much as I want to teach it as well. It used to be more, but no longer.
0: Yeah. Okay. So, my first question is what does your name of your practice stand for?
1: Oh, it's extremely boring, but take a guess. My name's Francis Catholic Kathleen Brown. <laughs> so, when I was just I'm extremely uncreative and when I was saying to people what should I call my business? Honestly, someone was just like FKB Physio and I thought, okay. <laughs> but it's fine. Now it now that's what it is. Yeah. And she is 2 years old. That's right.
0: Yeah, when's her birthday?
1: I think it was the 27th of July. Yeah. July's a good month. I say
0: that because I'm born in July.
1: <laughs> okay. Yeah. It's one of those months I have not, well, because it's Brisbane, it's winter in Australia and I used to hate winter so much. You're obviously from Canada, right? I'm from Australia.
0: Oh, what? Yeah. I was born and bred in
1: Australia. But you live in Canada? I do. I've been here for six years. Okay, because you have a mix of accents, so then that makes a bit more sense. Um, (laughs) So you kind of will get some context for what I'm saying. Brisbane winter is not winter now that I've lived other places in the world. When I came back, I thought, oh, right, our winter's awesome. But in the past, I hated winter, and so I hated July. But maybe it's, you know, I've come home, and now I actually would say I love our winter, and it's also the business birthday, so maybe that means something. Yeah. And over here, my birthday's in
0: summer, which I've never had my entire life.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Is that good or bad?
0: It's great. I love summer, Francis. I would live in summer for every day of my life.
1: Yeah. I used to love it, but the humidity in Brisbane and the, the, one of the gyms I work at and the one I train in, it doesn't have air conditioning it's sort of a big warehouse with fans (laughs) and it's okay when I'm training but when I have clients in there and they might be a bit hot I just feel uncomfortable and I think maybe it's just made me not love summer quite so much
0: yeah it gets hot there gets hot at home for sure yeah Hmm. okay so how long have you been a physiotherapist for
1: uh since 2010 so I graduated uni at the end of 2010 and then I think I honestly think I went straight into working maybe two weeks later so 12 years
0: yeah uh 12 years
1: Mm -hmm. and what
0: made you want to
1: become a physiotherapist so I when I was at school I I am a nerd honestly (laughs) and I did computer subjects and um maths oh biology science i was very science computers not as much maths um and i thought i wanted to do software engineering which is so strange to think about now and because i am not very good at sport i it never occurred to me that i was interested in health because at school i associated sport with the girls that were really good at netball and water polo there were the sports at my school and the girls who were into them just seemed so kind of, yeah, naturally sporty and confident and cool. And I was computer nerd, essentially. And so it just didn't occur to me to even consider that I might want to do something like physio. So I went into software engineering and I hated it. And I also got really into the gym. So I used to go to body balance, Les Mills, when I was at school once a week. And then at some point... I started going to body attack, um, maybe in year 12, I remember. I just sort of slowly started. I, my parents must have got me a gym membership, which was very nice. And I remember as the years went on at school, like I, the cross-country, my performance sort of went up each year just because I went to the gym. And then, yeah, first year uni, I got super into it. And I got shin shin splints, as it is known, from going to body attack like every day. Um, so I went to the physio. And I loved it. I was obsessed with it. I you know, would Google everything about it and really enjoyed going. And I had a friend who was doing essentially exercise science, and I went along to one of his lectures. And that lecture, I remember they were talking about how stomach ulcers are caused by that bacteria, not by stress. And that lecture was more interesting than any of my lectures I'd had so far in my computer science degree, and so I swapped to physio and never looked back it was absolutely the right call so growing
0: up like as a child you you weren't super into like sport or physical activity like what made you what made you go into the gym what what was like a catalyst to get you into body balance
1: I know I actually don't I honestly can't remember. I'm going to guess it was possibly my sister. I did actually do sport at school. I played tennis the whole way through and I did unpopular sports like softball and volleyball. And I was I ended up being the cross-country team. I guess it must be how I viewed myself. I viewed myself as very unsporty and uncoordinated because I don't think I'm very coordinated. But I still seem to, I guess I just did lots of things at school. Um, so I don't even know how the gym thing came up. And I guess I must have I must have liked it to an extent back then because I obviously kept it up. Um and I still like I honestly don't know as well when I started going all the time at uni, like I used to do three classes back to back, body attack, body pump, then body balance on a Tuesday night. And I mean, I honestly think a lot of it was the music. I know that's why I became an attack instructor because I just liked it was in time to music and it was fun, really. Yeah. You love music? I guess, I yeah, I like music. And the moving in time to it, there's something about it. Like, that's why I still teach Body Attack now, 15 years on. I just like the moving in time to a beat with a group of people thing.
0: Yeah, what really interests me when you were just speaking before around you when you were talking about how you weren't a sporty girl, Mm. but yet you did sport and Mm. the sports that you did, like the story, it sounds like in your mind, they weren't like cool sports or like proper sports or like, uh, Mm. that really fascinates me. Uh, Can you, can you speak (laughs) to that a little more?
1: Um, Yeah, that's so interesting. And I think it, because I've never thought about it until you've asked me. So that's interesting. I think that it probably comes back to identity. And, I mean, when you're a teenager, I guess my identity at school that I associated with was that I was nerd. And so that wasn't – it was true. I like computers and stuff, but that doesn't mean anything. Being a nerd is literally – doesn't mean anything. I'm still one. I love reading about things all the time and obsessing on a topic and stuff. But I guess at an all-girls school when you're 13, it wasn't the right way to be at my school anyway. So I guess it was just that identity thing, but then the actual part where I enjoy physical activity was clearly still there. And I guess too, um, I suppose as time goes on, my I guess it's just different. Like I I really like solo sport. So I like powerlifting because you're on your own and I used to do running by myself and body attack, although I teach it and I'm on the stage, it's an individual thing. And I hate the pressure of letting a team down or something. And so I think the thing too probably was just that at school it was very hard to find something I could go away on my own with the door closed and figure out and come out fully formed, which is what the sports I like now are. So it was probably just a whole process of being a teenage girl and whatever and actually I love snowboarding and I got into that at school as well like my dad likes skiing and he took us on a couple of trips to New Zealand and I remember when I used to go I just kind of would do it and like it and now when I do it I realize how much I love the technical aspects like trying to master the turns and trying to think about how I could do it better and I had a technique lesson last time I went and I thought oh I love actually love Sport. It just occurred to me this year. I thought, oh, I love sport. I always thought I didn't like sport, I just like exercising. But if I'd had more confidence, I think, and maybe a bit more direction towards, you know, if someone introduced me to powerlifting at school, I probably would have loved it. But it's hard when you're a teenage girl.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh did you just say it was an all-girls school as well? Yeah. Yeah. How was that experience?
1: It was, I think, it was not, it wasn't great. It wasn't so bad. But I think, I think, something I love about myself, and I'm so pleased, is that even I remember being in year nine and everyone was sort of, you've got to do this to fit in and you've got to do this to be cool. And even then I thought, but those things you're doing, I don't think are the right things. I don't want to. And I didn't. And I'm I'm really pleased that that's been a consistent thing that I have had enough self-esteem I guess to trust that what I want to do is okay even if it doesn't go down well with people around they weren't mean or anything but it wasn't it was much worse than uni let's put it that way like uni surrounded by people who actually wanted to be there and try hard was different but it wasn't terrible
0: yeah (laughs) um Yeah, I'm super fascinated. I'm really fascinated with like the, I guess, the label or the identity that you took on, even though Mm. you were active and were playing sport, but then never thought that that could be like a dot in your path to pursue a career within the physical space because Mm. that you were, you know, you were a nerd or (laughs) you're... On the computer On the computer. Yeah, so I find that extremely fascinating. Uh, When you uh, swapped degrees and you went into physiotherapy, can you remember what that felt like?
1: Yeah, I can. And it probably the identity was still there. I mean, I was really young. I graduated high school. I only turned 17 at the end of year 12. So first year uni, I was 17. And then when I swapped to physio, like my first year physio, I was 18 in that year, like my second year of uni. Yeah. So, I mean, who knows anything? And that's when I, that's when I became a body attack instructor. I think it was in the end of the, when I dropped out of engineering, I still had physio and starts at the start of the academic year. So I dropped out halfway through the first year of engineering and I became a body attack instructor then because I had time. And I think, I think when I did physio, I remember thinking, oh my gosh, if anyone knew that this If anyone in engineering faculty knew that this existed, they'd be so shocked because engineering lectures were sort of 400 people in this huge lecture theatre, all very sitting there listening leave. Physio was all, everyone did the same whole degree. So you were the same group of people through the whole degree. There was only about 120 of us and we had prac classes immediately where you had to go in this room with the beds were in there and you had to kind of strip off basically I remember thinking, this is just completely different to that other part of the uni, like 300 metres away. Um, I think I still had the identity crisis. I specifically remember thinking, oh, how weird if I saw a girl from school, she'd think that's so weird. You teach at the gym and you're doing physio. That's not you. But I mean, also, I'm sure no one ever thought about me because no one cares. But you know how you think everyone cares a lot about you when you're... Still young. Yeah. So but I just liked it. And I think physio isn't really about sport. It's about the body and health and people. And again, if you had asked me if I wanted to work with people, because I'm very introverted, I would have said no. But in the process of working with them, I have actually realized that I love them. Like I love working with people. Sure, I'm introvert. But I love, I just love people's experiences. You must as well. You totally get what I mean. I love working with them. So it's funny if people argue that school doesn't teach you what you want to do. I lived that because I had no idea essentially what I wanted or who I was or anything. But I guess the one thing is I did, the school was good for is that I did work hard and I got the confidence to think that if I work hard, I can achieve things at least in the academic space. So that's really helped for a career that requires a degree of doing academic stuff.
0: Yeah, I remember my mum said to me uh, when I did my first degree, my undergrad, that you may never end up doing exactly what you study, but it's not about that. It is about uh all of the skills that you will learn, uh, you know, the soft skills around it. Uh, And I have held on to that for forever since she said that. And I think it's really powerful that those experiences, our degree, which a lot of people don't end up even, you know, doing the, I guess, going into the field of their first degree or over time they, you know, they separate it like from it, but yeah, like you were just saying that the skills that you learn, uh, there's just there's so many, which is so cool. Uh, and there's a lot that I think about now in the business, just that I that I picked up when I did both of my degrees, just around work ethic and pa- capacity and discipline and yeah, all of these things that not only university taught me, I got it from my sporting background, but yeah, it's cool. It's cool to see them come up in in business.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree, and I think that too, um I think the writing side because you know in the creator club they're always talking about developing your writing skills and I think, "Oh, well actually that's something I can definitely do because of all those assignments that I have to <laughs> Yeah, Yeah. all that writing that we had to do, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) and the time management too, I think because I I said to you just before, I just did my master's and it was way more self-directed, way more, especially the final project. It was basically just like here's your project, you've got six months with some direction. And I remember thinking while I was doing it, I thought this is, I loved the feeling of being able to do it because They've given you this task that's kind of self-directed and just putting in the steps to get it done and also being able to budget time to get it done. I just, I love it, but I, I'm not quite as good at doing that as I just said as well with the business. But it's it's good to know this is a skill that exists and I could see that I could, could apply it in this context. I just need to get a bit better at applying it in a different context, but that confidence to know what the skill is and to see that you're capable of it in one way. I think that's so helpful.
0: Yeah. It's why I um, fell in love with training with a physical practice mm. because I believe it, it teaches you so much and you develop so many skills that changes your posture and how you show up in every mm. other relationship in your life, in the world. Really? I think
1: it's magical. Um, what was your master's in? It's called sports medicine, which it's a weird name. It basically, so you can do, if you want to call yourself a sports physio, or now it's titled sports and exercise physio. So of course I want, it's called a title in Australia. You'd have it. Well, yeah, you have it in Canada too. Um, They're protected. So you're not allowed to say you're a sports physio unless you have met this set criteria and you need a master's for that. Normally you do a masters of sports physio, but well, I have a few reasons why I didn't want to. The first one is it was at it's at UQ, which is the undergrad I went to. Um I so I could have done it there, but it involved, I think, a 16-week in-person bit. And I can't do that. Work for myself, I can't do that. And I also wanted a different perspective from my undergrad uni, because you know, you get their sort of bias, I suppose. And it would have had lots of hands-on manual therapy and I'm not really into that. It's fine, I'll use it sometimes, but I definitely don't want to spend lots of time and money honing my skills on something that I'm not super passionate about or think is super necessary. Um, So I did it at University of Melbourne and yeah, it was 100% online. And because it was called sports medicine, it meant that GPs and podiatrists could do it which meant I knew it wouldn't have manual therapy in there. So, and it's on the pathway. I can get the title with that master's. So sports medicine, confusingly, just means I can hopefully call myself a sports and exercise physio, but you have to apply for that officially, which I haven't done yet.
0: Yeah. Okay. So you said something really interesting about manual therapy. I, we can We can approach it in a couple of different ways. You know, you've been a physio for a long time now, so I would really love to hear the story of that, you know, from initially starting in the field and the space and the practice to bringing us to where you are now and your philosophy and your belief system and the way that you practice as a physiotherapist. Can we
1: go on that journey? Of course. (laughs) Okay, let's do it. So I'm going to try really, there's this huge polarization in the physio community about this topic and I want to try really hard to not get into that because it's polarized and I'm not on one side really but so physiotherapy as I was taught it was quite manual therapy heavy and I'm just going to say by manual therapy I don't I mean using joint mobilizations and massage as a treatment modality that's specifically what I mean I think when people hear about the manual therapy debate they think that I mean or people mean hands-off they think that you don't physically assess a patient. You don't put your hands on. That's not right at all. I think it's super important to do it. And every physio who is thinking about this is on the same page. You need to do a thorough physical assessment. You need to put your hands on. You have to assess. You have to feel. You can feel where, you know, where it hurts, what's tight, whatever. Um, That's not up for debate. It's whether you choose to spend a lot of your treatment session with the patient lying on the table and you doing things, massage, whatever to them. And again, I think if you like that, it has a place, but I don't necessarily see it as my main role as a physio. So, and we did do lots of it at uni. So in my first two jobs out of uni, they were just your standard private practice job in Australia And so I did them for a total of five years. And by the end of it, I honestly thought I picked the wrong career and I wanted to quit. I hated it. Um, One of them had 20 minute appointments and you'd have them back to back. So you could have a 40 minute initial consult and then you'd have 20 minute appointments and sometimes you'd have 10 back to back. So it was just this absolutely out of control looking at my watch, trying to, as they're bringing them down the corridor, trying to get their history, knowing that they expected manual therapy. So it would sort of be a one minute chat, quickly get them down, start doing stuff, Um, quick little review of the exercises at the end. Okay, done. Get the next one. Um, And it was completely not in line with my values. I didn't like it. I didn't think, I just didn't like it, you can imagine. And then you'd have to write your notes at the end. So... But it was high as hard. I didn't really know why I didn't like it because that's what physio is. Um, so I really wanted to quit. But at that point I moved to the UK and in the UK uh, the NHS exists and it funds outpatient physiotherapy. So it, if you sprain your ankle, you can go to the hospital and get physio there. That's not really a thing in Australia. You pay to have it privately or you miss out, honestly, for that type of physio. Um, I never wanted to do the hospital physio stuff, but in the UK, in the hospitals, they have outpatient departments, they do everything. And there the money pressure was completely off. It was instantly gone. So the whole reason my old jobs were like that was monetary pressure, not from me. I got paid a commission, um, small one, but, The only meetings I ever had about my performance were to ask me how, how come this person only came once and didn't come back and how come you haven't hit your financial KPI. I never once in five years had any review of my physio treatment or anything like that. Um, But in the UK, completely different, no money pressure, longer appointments. And I started working at this hospital that specialized in chronic pain conditions. Where they would sit the patient down and say, Okay, you've had this back pain for three years. What treatment have you had to date? And when they described the treatment, if it was primarily soft tissue manual therapy, very light exercises, the physios would basically consider that they hadn't had any rehab yet. And so that was quite eye opening because I'd think, Right, so all the things that we've been doing, that's not even considered anything and i mean they're a unique caseload but to see that it existed it made me go back and think well what am i doing like what are we doing because sure 95 percent of people or something won't get chronic pain but it just sort of made me really think well those people were probably going to get better anyway and then the few that aren't we're not helping it was just super eye-opening so and it was it was really hands-off with those people. Once they were at that point, they'd had all the diagnosis, they'd had a million medical assessments, they'd had everything under the sun. It was about this really graded exposure to movement and load and stuff. So I saw that. And then when I I moved to Kuwait next, because my visa ran out in the UK and it's Middle East, and I worked in a gym there. The Les Mills Instructing got me the job because I met a Kuwaiti lady who taught body attack and we connected and she suggested I could work there. And at that time, I'd sort of gotten really into the powerlifting stuff, strength training. I started working with a PT in the gym in Kuwait. I did a personal training course over there too. And that was probably the next step in the journey where when I was on the gym floor doing heavy weights and looking at what other people were doing on there, I had this disconnect of thinking: well, the physio rehab exercises we give people are these extremely low-load, random exercises, and in the gym, people are doing way heavy. And I'm thinking, how am I tell someone that their glutes are weak when they can squat or deadlift? It just the disconnect again. It just didn't make any sense. And I remember having an argument with a personal trainer about whether muscle knots exist or whether you need to foam roll or something. And I couldn't argue my point very well. And I Googled, you know, a muscle knots real. And I found Adam Mickens, this physio, I really love. I found his blogs and I just read every blog he'd ever written because he had had my entire experience the same, but he was older and smarter and he just figured it out. He'd sort of put it into words. that makes sense for me. And that, I remember emailing him and saying, you've changed everything. And and there was a physio in the UK I met as well. And we had all these really meaningful conversations about it. And it just just changed everything. So it was this whole process of, okay, the manual therapy stuff is fine, but it's probably not the main point. Um, We are underloading people. We're focusing on stuff that might not be the main point. Um, We're not really preparing people for the real world. And then also becoming super comfortable on the gym floor because my job in Kuwait was sort of a lot of people that wanted to get back into the gym, but didn't know how. Mm-hmm. And, you know, lots of the PTs, if you're a personal trainer focusing on aesthetic stuff or performance, a lot of them sort of said, I don't want to have to deal with them coming and only being able to do this much and you see them first. And it was this great thing of, Oh, okay, I'll see them and we'll get them up to a point where they can kind of do the basics and then I'll send them on to the trainer. Um, And so that it, it just was this whole thing of, Oh, this is what I want to do. And, and reading so much more, listening to podcasts, which again, I hadn't had any mental space to do that in my first jobs because they were so unpleasant. And so then when I came home, which was just because of COVID, I, I got a little COVID contract working for the government in a neuro rehab place in with my best friend, which was lucky. Um, And that gave me a little insight. Do you want to work for the government? Just checking. And because I've never done it before and because their benefits are so great and it's it's very evidence-based and amazing and great, but no, I do not. And so then I started looking at jobs for musculoskeletal outpatients and again, they were all sort of dry needling Pilates preferred and nah. And so I thought, all right, I'm just going to try starting my own thing. And I just happened to be on a walk in the area and I walked past this little PT studio and I just emailed the owner saying, hello, do you have space for a physio there? And he said, Yeah. And so I met him and his wife and they're super nice and I said to them, I'm going to be really honest with you. I go on the gym floor with my patients all the time. And he said, yeah, I basically don't work between 10 and 3 because he does early morning and late afternoon. So he said, you could use the gym floor in those times. So that was extremely lucky. And I thought, all right, I'll just rent the room. And there's not many overheads so i just rent. I didn't really have to buy anything. He had a, table, a physio assessment table. He had one. So I thought, all right, well, I'll just try it. I lived with my parents when I came home. So it's just a little opportunity. Okay, well, the worst that can happen is that I'll lose the rent of the space. Doesn't work. It's fine. I'll just go back to Kuwait. No worries. And then two years later, here we are. It's all good. <laughs> Worked out fine.
0: Okay, so I really want to go deeper on your philosophy and the way that you practice. That's why I'm yeah. attracted to you. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So... <laughs> I'm attracted to the movement-based approach that you have. Um mm-hmm. and yeah, I want to hear more about that. Uh, I well, I want to hear more about your powerlifting, like your yeah. own journey with powerlifting. Um uh, yeah. but first I really I want to dig into what uh what was his name? The physio that uh, Adam Mekins Okay. I want to just dig into like what resonated with you? What, what was his belief? What was his philosophy? How did he practice? And then how did you take that? And how have you molded into like how you practice today? And I want you to actually talk us through like a client journey. Hmm. Basically, I want to know like your philosophy and your belief around physiotherapy, around injury, around rehabilitation, around movement. Please tell us, tell us
1: all of it. <laughs> Yes. Okay. That is a giant question. Um, I think, I think a lot Adam Meekins, he's, he thinks exactly when I listen to his podcast or read his stuff, he thinks very similarly to me, but he has quite a prominent social media presence. And I feel you might not, if you or someone else goes to follow him, you might not quite see it anymore because he's sort of on social media, his persona is quite Different to what it was when I found all his blogs. But if you read his blogs or listen to his podcast, they're the sort of thing I'm talking about. But I think it's probably that the human body is extremely amazing and it can heal itself. Like when you think about it, it is amazing. It can heal itself. And so if you at the heart believe that the human body is is strong and resilient and can heal itself. um, And that we evolved to be able to be what we are. That's sort of the core, I would say. And so if somebody has a pain or an injury, if you view it as, okay, well, this is going to get better. So what can we do to just make sure it does? That's sort of, I would say at the very base, what it is. And so then it will be, it really depends on sort of what the injury is and the person's personality as to how that looks. And so I think that most of the time, things are going to get better no matter what you do, if you just leave it and it'll heal kind of in the background. But things happen that stop that process. So an example would be somebody with back pain, they hurt their back. I don't know if you've ever had, I think you talked, you've had heaps of. Stuff (laughs) (laughs)
0: happened. I've had so much happen. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, you know, so I have had an episode of acute low back pain. I've had two, and it's terrifying. I get it. It's extremely painful. Like it's scary. It feels like something broke in there. So, if you feel that and you are someone who is a bit fearful, you honestly could then go, okay, well, I'm going to protect my back. I'm going to try and hold it super straight. I'm not going to bend forward uh, better not go to the gym now because I've hurt it. And then if you go to a physio that says, oh, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah, you've, well, I hope they wouldn't say you've put your back out, but they might say something <laughs> like you've heard it. I don't know what they'd say, but you know, and then they lie you on the bed and they do the massage and they tell you, okay, you need to come back once a week, every week for six weeks for us to do this stuff to your back. And then I'm going to give you this very light pulling in your stomach exercise. There we go. That's your treatment. Um, it's just if you're someone who's who's confident and fine you'll get better anyway but if you're not there you end up doing so much less because you're in back pain and you're scared and those fears and worries and everything we know now that they can really influence you getting better and they can actually mean that because pain is a sort of a threat and alarm system it means that if you perceive that a movement you're doing is going to make your back pain worse, the pain signal will be amplified and that it's real. So it is absolutely not saying that the pain isn't real or that it's in your head. It's that your body goes, this is a threat to our well-being," So I'm going to give you a pain signal now. So you can end up in this thing where you're constantly in back pain or you keep hurting it over and over. And that physio where you're lying on the bed and they do little exercises, it obviously just won't it won't get you to where you need to be. And so I guess that's sort of where it all stems back to. And it makes me think then, well, it's very hard to pick which patients is going to end up which way at your first meeting. And sure, you could take the risk and just treat everyone like that. And half of them will go, she was a good physio. She got in there with her elbow and it felt really good. And she's so great. But the ones that you miss that see you, a few times and then you never see them again. And it turns out they're now at the back surgeon because their back pain didn't get better and they tried physio and it didn't work. I never want to be that physio. And so it just sort of meant that from the very beginning with my patients, it's about building confidence in themselves and getting them to focus on the goal is getting back to what you were doing before. And we do that from the start. And it's interesting. I only actually attract those clients now. Mm -hmm. It means I get way less clients. Um, But since I started my business, I reckon I have only had, I think maybe five ever patients that sort of wanted that more traditional physio, my back's out. Can you put it back? I'm going to lie in the bed and you do these things (laughs) on me kind of deal. And so whatever my website says, it obviously must make it clear that this is my ideology. So I'll give you a patient journey example. I want to think of a really, because I've had a couple of really good ones. Mm. Um, I guess, okay, I'll use a shoulder patient that I had. So I a lady that I saw, she is a group fitness instructor. And she had this, she's in her forties and she has shoulder pain. So she comes to me and she says, okay, here are all my different diagnoses I've had. I've had MRI x-ray ultrasound. It's totally stuffed in there. There was like so many different things, so many different things. You
0: know, uh, pause for a second yeah, was her language it's totally stuffed in there yeah or yeah it... oh that was okay. mine
1: I would never say that
0: but like that I was um so the imagery like what did the actual images was there
1: actual tissue damage in there or yeah, was yeah, it yeah. her
0: there was okay no
1: there really was and like okay. that's the whole this is the whole problem this is the whole <laughs> problem as well I know yeah <laughs> sorry like, and just to like little, Caveat thing, like if you get an x-ray and you're over 25, it's going to look real bad.
0: (laughs) I I have this conversation all the time around imagery and you know, yes. Okay. It shows something. You're just going to attach to that. The mind is going to attach to that. And then you're going to build a story in your head. Sure. For sure. Yeah. Out of curiosity. Sometimes it can be like interesting to see kind of what's going on. Uh, Mm. and an example I use is one of the women that I trained, she's an amazing hand balancer and Mm. she fell, uh, not hand balancing just on a hike. And she tore, you know, she did a really good job. She tore, you know, yeah. head of a bicep, the labrum. Oh. So oh. obviously she had this ongoing chronic shoulder pain that even, you know, with her background and her experience in hand balancing, it, it didn't go away. So they did imagery and obviously she had to have surgery to like reattach the head of the bicep. And, yeah. and so in that acute case, I totally get why imagery is really important. Yeah. yeah. She couldn't walk around for the rest of her life with like, you know, a, a bicep that's completely torn off. And she did an amazing job on the shoulder, but often, and especially with lower back pain, oh, God. The, the attachment to the MRI and the, the disc conversation, it's oh, just, God. It, it can blow my mind sometimes that, you know, and Carson, my partner, he's also a practitioner. And so he battles, he has a very similar philosophy as you do Francis. And so he battles a lot of the time around our attachment with labels around oh. what's, what's going on in the body.
1: And yeah, anyway, keep going, <laughs> keep, keep going. Oh, no, with but like all of that. And like, it's really tough. And I'm going to say the back pain thing too, now that you're mentioning it because it is It's really complicated. I think the problem is, because I think about this stuff all the time, there's so much nuance to it. And so some of my patients who fully bought into my ideology, they're like, might say something like, oh, my son has a knee pain. He hurt it at soccer and he wants to get an MRI, but he doesn't need that. And I'll say, oh no, actually there are times when you do need imaging. My message has accidentally come out as you never need imaging, but you in certain cases like in the incidence of a trauma like a traumatic incident that you think is big enough that might have caused a certain type of injury and it's it's so complex again because it's sort of like in the joints like your knee say you rupture your acl that is a big deal and you need to know about it and so in that instance you definitely need an mri (laughs) or if you've Thought you might have broken your wrist. Or well, yeah, you've had a, a traumatic incident happen that was quite significant. Um, you do trauma is sort of a an indication to get imaging, and so it's not this blanket, and even in back pain, as you would know, there are times when imaging's warranted. It's it's if you think there's a red flag, which a f- physios know what they are, and GPs and stuff know, and The thing that's weird is that really bad pain isn't a red flag. And so I know I've lived the back pain experience. I know how incredibly terrifying that pain feels. But if there's no red flags... And I don't really want to say what they are just in case people take it as medical advice or freak yeah. out that they exist. <laughs> the actual-
0: they're just sitting there listening
1: and then you just list these red flags and they're exactly. just like, yes, I have all of them. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to say what they are, but there are indications. And I guess the thing I would say with back pain is you want to, I would view imaging as ruling out a serious pathology and that means something like a fracture. Or um, a tumor, there's this annoying physio who goes, Look, this person had a tumor, and her physio wrote it off as nothing. And I think, Well, that's literally one of the red flags that you're meant to screen for. So that's a straw man argument. But there are these times, but it is not people. There's all these studies that show the imaging is way overdone. And it has these, they've literally done studies that show that having an MRI, and I think they did it in a randomized sort of setting where they sent some people who came to emergency for back pain for MRIs and they didn't send the other ones, but they all had the same sort of presentation. It definitely leads to way more spending on medical and potentially worse outcomes. Because if you go looking, you will find, I bet you that I have some disc something in my back because, Hey, almost everybody does. Every time I've had back pain, I get some nerve like pins and needles and kind of whatever, always on the same side and who like, who knows what it is, but the point and people go to me, aren't you in denial then because you won't get a scan. And it's like, I went in a powerlifting comp two months ago. I deadlifted lots of weight. I squatted, nothing hurt. I basically never have back pain. Occasionally I'll have a random little flare up where I get these little symptoms in my leg at the tiniest amount. It's nothing. I'm fine. But it's also normal. Like to
0: be it's in normal. discomfort or be in pain <laughs> yeah, it's normal. is normal. Exactly. Like I've oh, had a solid training practice for over yeah. a decade and I've had so many injuries and I've experienced so much pain and discomfort. And it's normal. Uh-huh. If you want to, yeah. ch- it's, and I think that, you know, that is such a hard thing to, to redefine that relationship with pain and discomfort to know that it's normal. It's such a normal part about just being a human.
1: (laughs) Oh, and you're so right. I think I heard you say that on one of your podcasts, but that's the other part of my philosophy. You've brought it up and you're right, that trying to tell people that some pain is normal and because it is exactly what you say. Something always hurts a bit. Like my shoulder sometimes, yeah. You know, (laughs) it's fine though. And like, I think the thing is, Because if you come back to that thing of my body's strong and amazing, then it means that you go, oh, I have a bit of shoulder pain and I'm fine. It's all, it ties back. But that has been so incredibly powerful for me, kind of being like thinking that my body's so strong and epic. It is, it just means that when pain does come up, you kind of think, okay, yes. And, and if it's quite bad, like when I hurt my back recently, two years ago, putting on my shoes, So the first time I heard it, I had not bought into this ideology yet. And I was working at the old physio practices, terrified. Took me 22 months from hurting my back deadlifting to then lift the same weight again, because that's how long it took me to not be scared. Mm. Second time around, I heard it putting on my shoes. It was about the same intensity. It was nowhere near as scary because I didn't do it, doing something like deadlifting. I was putting on my shoes. So the traumatic kind of thing wasn't there. And it was so interesting, I just approached it purely as, oh, that's weird. And then I'm thinking, oh, that's weird. It really hurts. That's odd. I did nothing. Curious curiosity. It, I'm lucky because it wasn't it wasn't excruciating. I know that it can be unbearable. I could sleep and everything. But I was able to do a squat PB like seven weeks later. And I, it was mind blowing, like as much as I believe everything I talk about, you have to live it yourself a little bit to fully believe it. And I know my patients as well, I can say everything and they're suspicious. And then when they live it, it they believe me and they're fully on board. Yeah. Um, But the difference between those two background experiences was purely mindset. And I did nothing, like when I heard it the second time, I did nothing, meaning I heard it and then I modified my training around it and then slowly build back to what I could do that's it I didn't do stretches or manual therapy and I suppose that's that's the thing that I think people might see my style of physio they might go oh but like you're not doing anything but it's that's the point you're kind of letting your body do its thing and not let anything get in the way and it, it you know if I was to try and deadlift 2 weeks after I hurt my back the second time that probably wouldn't have been the right thing there is a real art to knowing when to push and when to pull back. And I would say that that's literally the main component of my rehab. It's sort of let's figure out together, let's work together and figure out what movements you can do that feel okay and do them heaps. And then your body will sort of adapt to those and realize that it's fine. And then next time I see you in two weeks, we will add to those movements and we will progressively make them closer and closer to the things you want to do until you can do them. And the scariest of those, we'll make sure we do them in the session together and then you'll feel okay to do them outside. Like that's the process. And it sounds like nothing, but it's actually everything. And yeah, it's interesting if it's someone who is very confident and not bothered and um, high self-efficacy, they train in the gym. Honestly, it might be that I only see them once and we kind of discuss that process and they figure it out on their own and I email to check in how they're doing. But if it's someone who who's very scared they don't exercise regularly they have limited everything they're doing in their life around their pain the process might take way longer um because we need to check into kind of progressively stage increases but it's the same process it just looks different on different people so with the lady with the shoulder just to circle right back um it's funny yeah because she so she's technically would be in the um, She didn't, she wasn't fearful of movement and she didn't limit her life around her pain. She's in that kind of category, I suppose, but it's like, you can still, it's actually still quite hard to figure out what you need to do to get better. If it, if it has fallen into that thing where it's been going for years. So she'd had shoulder pain for years and all the imaging, it did show things, you know, severe arthritis in one joint and tendinopathy, like all of the things a nerve impingement, whatever, all, all of the things. Um, so she was at the point where she thought, I need surgery. Actually, she had a booked appointment with the ortho surgeon and everything. And she does group fitness classes. And all we we just sort of talked about it, and I guess she had adopted the mindset that using it was going to be damaging to it. And so she'd sort of try to limit the classes a little bit around what hurt but still do what she could. And I suppose when you do group fitness classes and there's heaps of reps and there's like lots of non-specific movements and stuff, it sort of uses your arm or it uses your body, but it might not necessarily target it in a specific way that challenges it to adapt and become stronger. So honestly, we just went together. Like when I saw how she could move it, I'm thinking, yeah, it's not, it moves quite well for the description you've provided. And we literally just loaded it with some specific exercises. We tried them together. It felt fine. And she was shocked like this. I'm not, this is not a patient testimonial because I have to be really careful about that, but let's just say it felt better. I have to be very careful. It it felt better sort of almost straight away. And I think as well, like, I think in the second session we did like chin-ups on the chin-up machine and that realization of, oh, my shoulder can pull my body up. Yeah. And lift like the really heavy dumbbell on the rows. And it was kind of that combination of, okay, it's actually safe to use my arm. And, oh, actually, I might need to strengthen it specifically to cope with what I'm asking it to do. And, oh, it can't be that broken because look at this hectic stuff it can do. And that combo, it just, it sort of must be a combination of physical adaptation and changing how you view the joint which because that seems to really help and I don't think anyone really quite knows why, right, but I'm assuming it's a mix of the alarm system gets toned down because your body starts to see it differently um maybe overall fear gets ramped down which might have an actual direct effect on hormones these are just thoughts and then probably subconsciously you use it differently because if you think it's damaged, you're probably always hunching it, protecting it. I know people always sort of poke the sore bit to check if it hurts and stuff. And if you just then move on to going, oh, it's good. It's good. And your brain goes, ah, oh, that's fine. We'll just stop worrying. And I mean that sounds so airy fairy and the science lady in me used to struggle with these descriptions. But I think it to me, if you can the evolution thing is what really sells me because we literally did evolve to what we are and we are designed to survive and pain is that evolutionary um, response to danger, it makes sense. that if your body thinks you're in danger, it's going to give you pain signals to warn you. But then if it thinks it's safe, it's going to tone them down. That makes sense. We are amazing. We are amazing. So that's the little, yeah, patient journey, trying not to overstep. There's lots of rules around physios in Australia, not allowed to.
0: Yeah. And see, I don't like that. I I know you've said it before, and I just think that's total bullshit. Uh, just no, um, I know. I actually
1: I have to say I agree with it because, um, it is it has huge potential to be unethical. Like a doctor saying I cured my, you can I feel like you can tell if a doctor said I cured my patient with this special treatment, you can tell that that's. Yeah. <laughs> Not ethical, like you know yeah America with at or something. yeah, <laughs> no, I feel <laughs> like you should be
0: able to speak to a patient journey. You should be able to say the patient presented with this, and these are the things that we tried, and now she can do
1: this because that no, that's the journey. That's the truth. I know. And like it 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 is it is very murky because the thing that I find hard is that personal trainers, um are allowed to because the reason physios can't is that we're signed with australian health regulatory body and so we're not allowed to as as registered health professionals i.e the ones that are qualified to provide rehab we're not allowed to do it but if you're a personal trainer no shade i love personal trainers but if you are one you're not signed up to that body you're allowed to post whatever you want and so people very prominent rehab accounts on social media and stuff um, I would say some of the most biggest accounts with the biggest followings and whatever, saying they can cure your pain and I get targeted ad them all the time. So I always see them. They're often trainers. And so <laughs> that's my objection. It's like, all right, if we're gonna have the rule on us, the rule has to be on everybody. It should be a, a blanket that people aren't allowed to post that stuff, not just the people that are the most qualified. So it's a bit of a it's it's very murky. I understand the reason behind it, but.
0: I think it's the language. So obviously, if you're saying you cured the pain, like that to me is not the right language. The right but language if you're sharing a journey of someone who was experiencing something and then went through, you know, they they had a movement practice where they were doing these things and that helped their not solved it, not cured it, yeah. but allowed no, them no to go back to their whatever their sport was, or yeah. you know. I think that to speak to that is is really powerful. And the thing that like creates friction with me is that you you can't speak to that, but that story and that journey is very is very powerful. I think.
1: Yeah, it is, and like you just said, something so interesting too that is another part of the point I always try to bring up with patients is that so much treatment is directed at trying to fix a pathology. So this, this lady was sort of, okay, well, I have arthritis in this joint. That must be why it's sore. So I need to fix the arthritis. Well, you can't, but, or I have, yeah, whatever it is, I have a disc in my back. It's a disc bulge. That's why I have pain. If I just cut the disc bulge off, I won't have pain. And there's, There's so the, it sounds so logical and nice, but if the question should actually be, will cutting the disc bulge off, make my back pain go, or will it get me back to doing what I want to do? And that's actually not, no, not necessarily. And so the focus is wrong. People focus on trying to fix the pathology, which makes sense maybe for other body systems, but in the musculoskeletal system. That works on the premise that the reason you're in pain is purely because of a tissue pathology, and that's not that link is not as strong as you think. Yeah, and probably even the premise that a disc bulge is a pathology isn't even necessarily true because so many people have them and they don't have pain. Yep, but it's actually just thought they might be normal. So Meekins and you know PhysioLand is trying to change the language we use and just say they're normal variations or normal signs of aging Mm -hmm. um, because I say to my clients, okay, does gray hair hurt? No. Does having wrinkles hurt? No. (laughs) Okay. Well, the degeneration you see in your (laughs) joints and stuff, it's like wrinkles but in your joints. And people can kind of visualize that and it does sound, I, I can understand how it sounds very the opposite of vigilant. I don't know what that would be, but like too in denial, I suppose, sort of going, you know, it's too optimistic and it's ignoring what's there. But I think, okay, if there's two people with back pain and one of them has a disc bulge and you try and treat the disc bulge and they still have back pain and the other person doesn't have a disc bulge, but does have back pain. Like the point is to get that person back to doing what they want to do. And often the pain will follow. Um, And I completely agree with what you say about pain, normal part of the human experience. And I suppose that's where I struggled with the lying on the bed massagey stuff too because it the language around that is also often like be pain free and i think yeah but like i'm not pain free but it's okay yeah um
0: we need to take a movement based approach like i've always believed that yeah. is we need to move we are designed to move and so how you move is going to tell you so much about the story and mm. for me, you know, I've been a coach now for 14 years and my coach taught me that we don't need to know exactly what's going on. I don't need to know the exact pathology. I just need to understand what the joint should be able to do. Where are we restricted? What range of motion? What's the stability like? What's the strength like in it? And then you need to know the process and the method. Like you said, for instance, it's an art. It for sure is an art. So finding a practitioner, or a coach who understands that art, understands the process and the method to overload the joint or to get the range of motion or the stability back or the strength back to give you that process and method is really important. But that's what he taught me. And that's how I've practiced for over a decade is like, I don't need to know exactly what's going on. I just know that you can't do this. And this is what we need to do to move you in the direction of being pain-free or like accessing the range or being able to do the sport that you want or the movement that you want. Uh, So with, with your patients, what are you, cause I know you run bone density classes and I wanted just to touch on that women and bone health, but are you, Are you seeing them and then you're going to the gym and you're spending time on the gym floor and you're taking them through movements? Do they get that home care and do they take that away and practice it themselves? And so then...
1: Yeah, good questions. Yeah. Oh, yeah, go. Should I, yeah, more to the question? Well, yeah, I'm just
0: like, you know, if for a lot of people, this can be, you know, can blow their mind a little bit, especially if they... um, have been with practitioners that are very hands-on, very very manual therapy, and then you get exposed to this movement-based approach. Uh, I just, yeah, I want you to talk through that. Like, what does that look like? You're taking them to the gym floor and you're going through certain movements. And then do they take that as, as home care and practice it themselves? And then you just layer that on until they can, you know, they have access to full range or they are more stable or they're strong in the position or they're no longer experiencing the discomfort or the the issue.
1: Um, okay. So that is another problem I found with physio stuff, in that before, so the main like heaps of physios will say, Oh, but I give exercise, but it would be this little afterthought at the end. So I I'd have an hour appointments. I have 40 minute follow-ups, but an hour initial. So I have, it's so much time It's amazing. And probably 20 minutes of it usually is spent talking because, and I ask a million questions, but the, yes, it's extremely important to, you will know that to talk through everything. So, um, and I, I make it kind of clear in my email of the booking that we're going to end up doing movement. So to wear clothes, you can move in and stuff. But a big problem with physio stuff is that people understandably if you prescribe exercises they don't do them no judgment I would not do them I'm
0: judging I'm judging absolutely do your effing homework even
1: though they're not very
0: good they're not great exercises I totally get it yeah they're
1: boring as shit I have thoughts so my thoughts are that like okay I love exercise I cannot do exercise at home it's boring I hate it but I love going to the gym and so if I had an exercise that I had to do for a specific purpose. I would just write it into my gym program and I'll do it. But, and so I'd, something I would something I often struggle with a bit is, is the fact that if they go to the gym, it's all good because we can come up with this really, they're, they're into it already. And we, if it, because the exercises I give are often quite hard and similar to what they're doing already. And often it's just tweaking their program. If they go to the gym, it's very easy. We just tweak it and put it in their mm-hmm. program um and often it's load management stuff like it might be oh you've got shoulder pain but you're doing bench press and overhead press and incline press and blah 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 it might be sort of let's just halve the amount of pull-ups
0: yeah and you're like just just yanking on the shoulder as well on top of that
1: yeah (laughs) and people are always shocked how well that works it's like let's just cut a bit of it out and then slowly add it back in and then oh wow magic but for people that don't do exercise I, I do give them home exercises. And again, old school physio kind of deal used to be like, do these little exercises twice a day. And I'm like, nah, I I give them if they can handle, it depends if they do no exercise ever. Honestly, they end up with the most basic stuff because that's where they're at. And it might be do it multiple times a day. They're just trying to build capacity. And I know that has a very short lifespan, but I'll only give it to them for a really short time. Like, let's do it for a week, try to make a change and change it as soon as we can as soon as possible, I try to make it something they only have to do like three times a week and it's hard. And I try to make it something that they can see will get them back to the thing they want. And, and that, that helps because if it's very similar to their loved activity, they'll, they're more inclined to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I honestly know that so often, again, the patients I get now do do the exercises, but so often it's just too hard to motivate yourself. And the group classes are my answer because like I say to my patients all the time, Hey, I won't do the exercises cause it's boring, but I'll do, if I go to the gym, I'll do them. So then I, I do make all these group classes that are ways for people to do their exercises. So the bone density ladies are coming for bone density, but if they have a pain that crops up, we'll chuck in um, the exercise stuff for that problem into the class and I do, I do get every patient on the gym floor. So we'll do like a twenty-minute conversation and an assessment, however long that takes. And then we will spend however long is in the session. And often it's still lots of time we spend it on the gym floor doing their exercises, the whole realm. So if it's I I've, I've prescribe three exercises, three sets of whatever, we do the whole thing then and there. And then I can say to them, "We done them here. We did the whole set." We can see how you responded. We can check if it hurts tomorrow, so we know exactly that this was the right dose. Yeah, and then you know, like that. So when you're
0: saying exercises, though, you don't mean these light, tiny, little banded exercises. Can we? Can you be a little specific around what you actually
1: mean by exercises? Um, it it really depends on the problem, but and I I have to say, they're honestly just the normal exercises you do in the gym. Like some of my favorites, push-ups, planks, side planks on your hand for shoulders that people have no gym equipment, There's are some massive go-tos. Yeah. So you're um, talking about strength exercises, yeah, strength, stability strength.
0: exercises. Yeah. That's, that's what I was getting at is, you yeah. know, for people to picture, if you're coming in with knee pain, yeah. you know, you're not just going to sit there and maybe do a light band thing, like we're talking about, okay, what is the the range of motion like with the knee? Can it, Where can we access it? What's the stability like? How do we build strength in it? So you're doing yeah. like strength and stability exercises. Like if someone does powerlifting, for example, and they have oh, yeah. pain, you're not going to give them super light banded know. exercises. You're giving them like, like loaded exercises, aren't you? Well, whatever. What I, I know what's going on in the body, but yeah. they're like – like you said, they're they're a hardcore exercise. Hard,
1: yeah, yeah. And yeah. Like with powerlifters, I often find the thing powerlifting's is bilateral, like you know, you're holding the barbell, squat, bench, deadlift. They're all two hands on the barbell, two feet on the ground movement. Um, heaps of the time with them, it's probably load management. Like that, like I said, they're probably benching heap. If they have shoulder pain, they're benching a lot and maybe lots of pressing and not much else. And we might go, let's just halve the amount of barbell presses you're doing, and let's throw in some like dumbbell lateral raises and forward raises and single arm overhead press or something. Um, And we do it on the gym floor. And I try to, I'll do a strength test sort of side to side, like max effort. How many reps can you do until you can't do anymore? So we can find the right weight. So like, it's hard. It's hard. People often quite shocked, especially the ones that have been to the other physio. They're like, I'm working really hard. I'm like, Yeah. yeah, because we need to find out what your body can do and then tailor it just under that. And that sort of, I think the thing is your body won't adapt if you do these really light little, unless that's where you're like, you're trying to dose it so that it pushes their capacity level just enough to actually make a change, but not so much. You stir up symptoms. If you're someone who does no exercise, that honestly might be 10 sit to stands. If you're a power lifter, it might be Bulgarian split squats with like 20 kilos in each hand. Like it really depends. Yeah.
0: It depends on training age and obviously what's going on in the body. There's like multiple variables, I, yeah. But um, actually, Carson and I were talking the other day he was seeing a patient that had had shoulder pain. She saw a practitioner, a physio once that did some manual therapy and gave us some light banded exercises. And that's what she was doing for like nine months, the same banded exercises and it wasn't getting better. And he's Mm -hmm. like, we need to progressively overload it always. You cannot do the same physio exercises for like five months and expect to get better. You've got to like push Mm -hmm. just like in training and strength training you can't do the same weight forever and expect that you're going to get stronger or build muscle it's the same with your rehab it has to get harder and then if we make it harder yeah it's going to be a little uncomfortable just like getting strong is uncomfortable it's really hard to get strong and it's uncomfortable the same is like rehabbing an injury or trying to move through pain
1: not always comfortable you have to push yourself (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And like, I know that will turn some people off and I I know that and they're not, that's fine. Like they can go to the other physio. That's, that's all good. I won't attract them because yeah, I make them come and I make them do hard stuff in the gym. And if you are, you have to kind of be at a certain point in your journey to be open to it. And, you know, sometimes people are, you know, the people that are the most terrified of their body. We will start off so gradually and we will do some stuff in the room. We might do the whole treatment session in the room um, but we end up on the gym floor eventually. <laughs> but you've got to, if you, there are obviously, you'd know, certain people at a certain point where they they're not there yet and they need to have the lying on the bed thing. And I honestly don't, they'll freak out from my approach and not come back. It's barely happened, like I said, but I know that's <laughs> the case and that's that's okay. Yeah. And I like to think that because I'm authentic from the start and I give my approach from the beginning, if, let's say that person doesn't like it and doesn't trust me and two years later has tried everything and then she's like, actually, I remember that physio right at the start had this other approach. That's something I haven't tried. They might circle back. At least I know that I've presented this consistent image of a different and that's what people say they go I've tried physio but I've heard you do it differently and that's (laughs) I'm into that
0: which is great which is so like that it just turns me on I love it it's such a different way and but it shouldn't be which is (laughs) which is the the crazy thing yeah I want you to talk about uh your bone density classes. I I really want to talk about women and bone health. I love the other day you made a reel of a lady, a woman jumping and she oh was she was older,
1: yeah. And she was yeah. what did she have? Okay. Did she have a 45 kilo bar in her hand? Well it was it was 24. It was a it's the trap bar. She okay, so for context though, she only weighs like 52 kilos. Yeah. Um and I've been doing loaded jumps for ages, but I saw, again, I saw a PT or an exercise scientist in the powerlifting gym doing trap bar jumps with his clients with lots of weight. And I thought, oh yeah, my ladies who've been jumping, holding the six kilo medicine ball, 10 kilo medicine ball, they could potentially manage that. It's sort of a different distribution of load. She can lift 70 kilos in that bar. So I thought, let's just try, let's just try this. Yeah, no problem. What they did it yesterday again. No issues at all. Yeah. So often what these ladies can do. Um, so yes, I do the the bone density classes at work. And again, that just sort of happened by luck in that when I came home um and it was COVID, I honestly were thinking back, because it was COVID and things were locked down. I made mum and dad do weights in the living room because they I thought they needed to do strength training. And then when I started working in the gym, I brought them to do it at the gym. And, um, one of my mum's friends used to go to, there's this thing called the bone clinic in Brisbane, but the couple of little satellite clinics around the place closed down in COVID. And some of the women were looking for somewhere to do bone density classes. And I sort of looked up the research that the bone clinic is based on this lady Belinda Beck. She's done so much work in osteoporosis space and she's written the exercise guidelines for exercise in osteoporosis so I read the guidelines and I thought okay that's basically how I train a heavy compound movement to begin with 80 to 85 percent 1RM um what lo- um followed by your general gym based exercise more so 8 to 12 reps and then include high velocity jumping based stuff with impact and so I read them and I thought yeah like okay I can do that and so I just sort of started them. And I guess over the two years, lots of people came. They all, everyone referred everybody, great little network and refined my processes. And they're now going strong and they're like my favorite part of my business, really. It's just so fun and worthwhile and amazing. Yeah. Why is it important for women to jump? Um, Good question. So my understanding is that your bones so your bones just to give you the little background even though i know you that you know but your bones build their density 90% of it before you're 20 and the last 10% comes till about mid 30s and huge advertisement to have active kids because hello you built 90% of it by your 20 the and you wanted the things that seem to work is Adequate food intake and all that stuff that I won't even go into because it's not my area, but lots of exercise and multidirectional loading. Um, And then it starts to go down from mid thirties. And then when you hit menopause, it rapidly goes down. And when you think about these women that I'm looking at, you know, they're in their sixties and they've got osteoporosis already, which is basically osteoporosis means you're more than 2.5 standard deviations away from a 30 year old. It's just like, that's how they measure it um they might live till they're night these women some of their mothers live till they're 95 they've got 30 basically my life almost again to live and their bones already osteoporotic I think it's like whoa whoa we have to do something um and the research seems to indicate and again I'm going to say seems to indicate you know the drawbacks of evidence-based research so much so many drawbacks very,
0: so much wrong with very it very hard
1: <laughs> very hard to show anything <laughs> But let's just say I've read two, well, there's many studies out there. Yeah, but so many. Some of the yeah. big ones um, show that we know, let's say, resistance training will seems to at least stop bone density loss and in some cases can improve bone density. Then there's some research that indicates it needs to be heavy and there's a bit of debate about that. But, like, I think heavy strength training is very beneficial to everybody anyway. And so, who cares if you don't necessarily have to do eighty-five percent one RM for your bone density? You should do it anyway because the benefits are there. Yeah, you've got to be
0: as strong as you can as you get older. Yeah, Yeah. you don't want to be fragile and broken, and then fall over and break your hip, and then you're stuck in hospital for the rest of your
1: life. (laughs) That's right. And like some of my women are. Definitely not in the headspace to go heavier and that's okay. They're still going to have benefits. So it's not saying that you're not going to get benefit if you don't go heavy, but if you're open to it, I think the main thing to say is that it's safe. Uh, the original thought was that it wasn't safe in this age group, but the research indicates they didn't have any, um, they didn't have any of the things you'd expect, like fragility fractures for well, osteoporotic woman or back injuries or whatever. And personal experience, is hard to use because it's not evidence-based, but. There's been yeah, no like
0: on that though, I mean, there's power in qualitative research. And this is like my it, pet peeve within the yeah. within the science world is that yeah. if you've been doing something long enough, you have qualitative evidence. You have the qualitative evidence, you've got yeah. the subjective evidence of these women that are can lift their groceries now and that like can yeah. go on their walks or their hikes and they feel stronger. And like we don't need a, a randomized control trial to tell us that what they're doing is working or not it is yeah
1: (laughs) and like the thing is that so completely what you're saying the people who did the bone clinic research and there's this other kettlebell strength guy out there their studies also had qualitative arms where they had all of that and they showed how awesome it was so I feel like I just know that because I have to be careful about me talking about my own practice but anyway um, none of them have had any issues. And the bone clinic lady wrote a study this year, uh, a paper, an article, and she said in the seven years she's run bone clinic, there hasn't been any at uh, major adverse effects. So, like, that's pretty significant. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is safe. And the jumping side, again, it's a bit up for contest. It's It's unclear whether you have to include jumping. But, again, I just read another study that was osteoporotic women who also had osteoarthritis and they introduced jumping for them and it not only helps their bone density but it also helped their cartilage thickness mm. and I just I think okay again maybe you don't have to include jumping if you just do the heavy resistance training maybe that's enough but I like to think of it as your body's capacity to do stuff yes. and if you don't jump you don't have the capacity you'll lose it especially your tendons and everything and so if you don't use it, you lose it. And then something might happen where you have to use it for some reason, like you're running for the train or something's happened and your body hasn't tried to do fast explosive jumpy stuff in a million years and you get like a tendinopathy or, you know, your body hates it. And so I think that jumping is important to do because you probably stopped doing it when you were like 15 and it's awesome for your tendon health. And it seems to potentially be good for your cartilage health, maybe, And it might also be beneficial for your bones. Mm -hmm. So it's just that thing again of the benefits of resistance training and power, I guess, power training and jumping impact stuff seems to be quite indisputable. So yeah, everyone in my classes is doing it. And it starts off gradually. So the ladies that are (laughs) uh, not so good with balance will hold on to a bar and jump. And then my ladies who are epic will hold on to the 24-kilo bar and jump.
0: Yeah, it's um an art, like you said. You know, there is uh one of the big movement teachers in the movement space always said there's no such thing as a bad movement, just lack of preparation. Yes, that's like- Exactly. And and that's, you know, with with women who maybe haven't jumped in 50 years, it doesn't mean they'll never be able to jump. The art yeah. is in like, how can we start to expose them to that and prepare them for that? Um, and yeah, I've loved that saying, and I have held on to that for a really long time. Because there is no such move, uh no such thing as like a, a bad movement for you. I've it's just that. we're just we're just not prepared because we are. Mm-hmm. We're sedentary, like, you know, people that don't move as much as we used to. We don't lift things. We don't twist. Um, you know, we don't even walk as much as we should <laughs> walking. Uh so yeah, that's yeah, um Dr. Stacey Sims does a little bit to do without the hormonal stuff around the the high intensity or the the jumping and the plyometrics and how it can give uh the body the same kind of stimulus as like the like the estrogen when we go through menopause and we don't have we don't make um the hormones anymore so that higher intensity plyometric short sharp strength training gives us that the the effects of estrogen basically the building up kind of anabolic effects which supports um yes bone density and, and maintaining of muscle mass and stuff. So she's got some cool stuff in there, um, outside of the bone space, just around how it can really support our hormones to, to lift heavy weights and to, to do like short, sharp, um, intense pieces of exercise or movement.
1: Yeah. And I think it's funny too, the things that you sort of, that I intuitively discovered over years of practice And then if you start reading research or listening to experts who've researched or looked into it, it makes sense. It's like my experiences then literally completely matched the research. So when people have say, oh, that, you know, I understand the limitations of evidence-based practice, but it's been quite reassuring for me that all the stuff I found in practice actually in the studies is the same. Mm -hmm. Um, I completely agree those benefits in the, yeah, the heavy, short, sharp for women in particular, especially because they probably don't do it um it seems epic and like my ladies who come can do you know like some of those women like the one in the video she might start the session and end up lifting 1.2 or 1.3 times body weight for five reps and then she'll do some other exercise in the middle and then at the end she'll do 20 plyometric lunges like it is nothing she's you know but heaps of them they get to this point and it's so amazing my mom actually comes and she's She's in the same boat. She says that she feels the fittest she's ever felt in her life at 68. I think she only started doing kind of regular exercise in this way, maybe maybe 10 years ago or a little bit less. But I just think that's so cool. And then now some of them have done their DEXA scans and it's quite amazing. Like one of them got her bat last night, and it, it 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 is quite amazing. So oh, that's so cool, Frances. Francis. So uh, cool.
0: I put out like a question box for a Q&A podcast and someone wrote to me around, you know, I, I'm I'm worried about my parents. Like I really wish that they could train. Is it too ever too late to get my parents no. to train? And I'm no. just like, no, I haven't done it yet. But can you speak to that a little bit, this belief or this myth that, oh, it's like I'm too old for that or, oh, I can't do that. That's too, you know, dangerous
1: for me or. Oh, like, I think honestly, I I think seeing it's that thing again of I know, in, I know that this stuff is good and healthy and fine and the benefits are there and it'll be those qualitative things like they say to me, a lot of them have had to have knee or hip surgeries or whatever in the time I've known them and they they're shocked that they might have had a knee replacement five years ago. And now they've had a second knee replacement, but in that time they've started doing the classes and they are shocked at how much easier they've come out of it. Or they can get down on the floor to their dog or whatever it is. These really amazing changes, or they can do things that are objectively extremely impressive. I honestly think some of them can function in the classes like someone in their thirties. But then there's these, the bone, the DEXA scan bone density going up. It is mind-blowing. These women are in their late 60s. The ladies who I was looking at last night, it went up in one of those sites like 14%. No. Just amazing. I just couldn't believe it. And how and- long has she been doing it
0: for? 18 months. 18 months? Really- how many times a week
1: do they do it? This was twice. 18 months, twice a week? And, like, again, you can't generalise it to everybody. <laughs> then, you know, there might be other variables in there that I don't know about.
0: That- oh, Francis, I love the nerd in you that like sticks to the, the ethical nerd in you. Like, I, I love that. <laughs> but
1: but yeah, it, of course, there's,
0: it could be oh other variables. God. You know, we can think about, you know, maybe she's retired and she doesn't have any stress anymore or she changed her diet or there's like a million variables, which is why there's so much wrong with actual proper studies. I know. In Research and science. Know. But like, that's like... That's something to celebrate, to own that and to be proud of that as like a, oh. a practitioner that's created that experience for
1: a woman. And then for her to have an improved bone density. Yes. It's so cool. And like, yeah. she as well, like, we were shocked because yeah, we just, she sent it to me and I, she said, this is better, right? And I, you know, she probably didn't quite know how to read the thing. It, it went from osteoporosis back to osteopenia, like just like, and so yes, she's 65 and she just started doing resistance training twice a week and a huge positive change that happened is that at that age, the bone density has now gone up and so it's never too late. What And, and apparently as well, the more severe your osteoporosis and stuff is, the, the fast or the bigger change you can make. That does make sense mm-hmm. to me. Yeah. Uh, so you could really argue, no, it's literally never too late. The body, like Greg Lehman, another favorite physio says. Yes, he says, I love Greg Lehman him he says um pretty much like as long as you're alive like your body can adapt so the only reason you wouldn't be able to adapt would be if you were dead so if you're alive you can do it
0: I love that should we end on that we've been gone yes. for a long time oh, yes, yeah yes yes <laughs> <laughs> oh I could talk to you for such a long time you know I really enjoy these topics i I just want to celebrate you for one, opening up your own business two years ago. It's a scary thing and it's really hard to do that. Uh, But two, for, for like just going against a little bit, you know, like as you know, when we're trained in university, sometimes we're trained in a way that like just doesn't really work in the real world. (laughs) all the time but just for being curious to know that there might be a different way a way that you know that lights you up that gives you passion and meaning and desire and purpose in your career but also can help people can help people just in a different way uh the bit that I really love and I've heard you speak about it so many times before is the belief you ha- have to believe that your body can heal. You have to believe that you can recover. You have to believe that your body is capable. And I think I I just love that. And if you take one thing away, there's so much in this, but the belief is so important. Uh, and I love that you speak about that. So thank you for the work that you do.
1: Oh, well, I mean, yeah, I, you're welcome, I guess. <laughs> It's very important. Yeah. It's
0: important. And the classes that you've created for those women, they just must feel so, so cool. So friggin' cool and badass that they are doing that stuff and they're in their 60s. So yeah, I, I just really wanted to acknowledge you and you know, I love your philosophy. I um I think it's really cool. And thank you for your time. We went for an epic session. So I really, really appreciate it. Warrior Woman, thanks so much for listening to this episode. If you haven't, please give the podcast some love by subscribing now. And if you enjoyed this episode, please rate it and share it with another Warrior Woman. Also, if you want to go crazy, I'd love if you wrote a review for the Warrior School podcast. And also share and tag me with your biggest takeaways for the episode on the gram. Okay, Warrior Woman, have a great week in training. Bye for now.